When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Lisa Stone, and you're listening to Parenting Aces. Welcome to Season 10 of the Parenting Aces podcast. We are a proud member of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, and I am coming at you from Atlanta, Georgia, which you can see I'm not in my typical podcast recording spot. I am in the corner of my condo with no art on the wall behind me. So sorry about the boring background, but at least you get me here. For those of you who are watching the video version of this, for those of you listening, hopefully the sound quality is what you're used to. And I'm really, really excited about my two guests this week. I don't often get two guests. So this is a a special occasion for us at Parenting Aces. But before I tell you about them, quick reminder, if you haven't become a premium member of Parenting Aces yet, we'd love to have you join us. Just go to parentingaces.com, click on the join button, read all about the perks that you get. The main one being that you get quarterly consults with me. And I always love consulting with our members and getting to know the members of the Parenting Aces community, but also lots of other perks available to you as a premium member. So check that out. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Now, let me tell you a little bit about this week's guests. We have a father and son duo. We have Orlando and Alexander Bravo. Orlando is a former junior tennis player, a former collegiate tennis player, a current uh, powerhouse in the world of finance. And his son, Xander, is a rising high school senior who has recently committed to play college tennis at Orlando's alma mater. So it's a great story. I'm really excited to share their story with all of you. Let me just give a big thank you to Coach Todd Whittem for connecting me with the Bravo Boys. And here they are. Let me get them online. I am getting them unmuted, adding them on. Orlando and Xander, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Thank you very much for having us. Thank you. As Orlando, well. I'm going to start with... I'm going to start with you, Orlando, because, you know, age before beauty or something along those lines. Um, My understanding is that you had a very, very interesting junior tennis experience growing up in Puerto Rico, but making your way to Nick Volateri's academy where you were there alongside Jim Courier and Andre Agassi. So please share with us how you got from Puerto Rico to Florida to Volatari's and what that experience was like. Well, thank you, Lisa, for having Xander and me. And if there was ever a uh, a great example of age before beauty is in this podcast. So I appreciate <laughs> you saying that as well. Um, so, so look, for me, um, tennis growing up since the age of eight, all the way through college, midway through college, uh, it was it was my entire life. Uh, it was the way that I got to meet new friends, uh, get out of Puerto Rico to explore new places, uh, travel, play tournaments in Latin America, Central America, the Caribbean, and of course the, the U.S. tour. And in, in that journey, uh, I'm very fond of the sport because it is what showed me how many different things were possible. Uh, and, and that's an, an amazing thing that I carry through uh, to today, especially when I mentor younger people. But, but the, the way it was for me is I remember 
1977, uh, there was an exhibition tournament where Via Sterilitis played in, in San Juan. And my mom took me and we loved what we saw. And I started playing. And then a great coach, uh, Antonio Ortiz, uh, who was my lifetime coach uh, and mentor, took me under his wing and really taught me how to play. Uh, my first tournament outside of Puerto Rico was in Florida, and I lost in the finals to Jim Currier, who killed me in the 12 and under. I think it was like 2-1 and one or 2-0, and oh, something like that. And, and from a bit of that friendship and my parents getting to know his family, I then started going to Harry Hobman's. I don't know if you remember that academy from, from oh, way yeah. back when that then became the Palmer Academy. But, but in that, I was exposed to a lot of good players, a lot of great coaches. And then it got to the time through playing junior tennis that we thought that it was very beneficial that I go to an academy with a higher level of competition so that I can continue to develop my game. And that's when I went to Balateri uh, for part of high school. And it did, it did wonders for my game. I was roommates with Carrier. Uh, and I was in that, uh, I wasn't nearly as good, but I was part of that junior group of Sampras, Currier, Chang, David Wheaton, who was also at the academy, Martin Blackman, who was an awesome player, uh, just, just a great piece of American tennis. That's amazing. I mean, what a what an awesome time in American tennis, right? And to think that you were in the middle of all of that. All of the guys you mentioned went on to have incredible professional careers. You chose to go to college. How did you make that choice? Well, it wasn't really my choice. I wasn't good enough. (laughs) (laughs) But what makes you say that? Like, how did you realize that that college was the right choice for you? Look, it, it, you know, really, that group was always in the top five, top ten. There was always a a pretty big difference between that group, even at the 12s, and us who were 40, 50, 60, 70 in the country. There was no UTR system then either. But it was especially when they all turned 16 to 17 that their uh, explosiveness as athletes, besides their strokes and the time they had put in, it really, really showed. And for me, it was, do I really try and struggle playing some satellite tournaments at the time? Mm-hmm. Or do I use that experience to get a phenomenal education and play college tennis, which was hard enough? And, and it was a, a really obvious choice for me. Right. So you wound up at Brown University and played tennis there. And um, can you talk a little bit about how you chose Brown? And Xander, I'm coming to you, so hang on there. But um, I, I want to hear a little bit about how your dad wound up at, in Rhode Island at Brown University. You know, I was, um, first I got in, so you got to get in, uh, or recruited. So I, I was recruited by Brown. And um, given the super competitive environment, right, you have all these parents watching and kids it's, it's incredibly competitive and it's more competitive now, but it can be done. That's the key, it's to stay positive. And I was recruited by another Ivy League school. And what I loved about Brown is being a student athlete uh, and not, being, uh, not having been through the uh, most rigorous high school, for example, like a boarding school that really trains you academically. Uh, it, gave, it gave me a soft landing. It, it, with, with, with the ability to uh, form your own curriculum, decide on your own major, do everything pass-fail if you need to until you get, you get comfortable enough. It's also a, a place where it's super collaborative, so students are not comparing grades at every minute. It's not an in-and-out system. It's everybody makes it. So that, um, uh, once again, I, I use the term the soft landing is so important as a student athlete because then little by little you start gaining confidence and saying, I can do this and I can be a top student as well. And mm-hmm. that is what Brown does that is totally different than any other uh, Ivy that I've, I've come across. Interesting. And Xander, congratulations to you. You've just committed to go play at Brown following in dad's footsteps a little bit. And I want to talk about that in a moment. But first, I understand that you grew up in San Francisco and 
you know, getting an Ivy League education is something that's very important in your family, right? Academics are very important in your family. But being able to combine your love of tennis with a high-level education is also very important to you. You recently moved to Florida because you kind of realized either you yourself or you with your coach and your family that you needed to up your game a little bit. And by that, I mean, bring in more intense training, get yourself ready to be competitive at that Ivy League college level. What happened that kind of triggered that thought process that, hey, I'm not getting what I need here. If I want to achieve this goal, I've got to make a change. Um, I think I would really say is I, I definitely didn't see myself not improving in San Francisco. I feel like I was still improving at a steady rate, but what I really saw was that I needed to improve at a much faster rate to be able to achieve, you know, the Ivy league goal, which has been a dream of mine since ever since I can remember. And, you know, when I, almost was, you know, beginning towards middle of my junior year, um, I really realized that, that the goal is very achievable. It's going to be very difficult. I'm going to need to put a lot of hard work in. I'm going to need to make some great relationships with some of the Ivy League coaches if I want to go to one of those schools. And I also said, you know, I'm going to have to keep my academics up as well. And you know, very importantly, I'm going to have to make huge strides in my tennis game overall. So that's when um, my dad and I and my mom, we were all researching, you know, great facilities and places around the United States for, you know, great tennis training experience overall. And we came across Todd Whittem's place, TW Tennis. And I think what we saw there that we didn't see anywhere else was still the ability to have individual attention as if you almost have a private coach on you six hours a day. But at the same time, a small peer group of kids who are also going through the same thing as you and you could push each other with. So that was astounding to see, you know, we, we didn't know such a place really existed. So as soon as we saw it, I guess we, uh, booked my ticket. And I think, you know, the original plan was, uh, was to go for two to three weeks, you know, make sure that I liked it. And I did. So I guess uh, <laughs> I'm here to stay. <laughs> and, and I should point out, this was all happening in the midst of COVID too, right? Um, you were, I'm, I'm guessing you were doing school virtually at some point in your junior year because COVID hit us all. Um, how did that kind of come into play with making the move? Because you were already doing school, not in a brick and mortar setting. Exactly. Yeah. So basically what I noticed was my school, my high school in San Francisco was still virtual at the time I started uh, with Todd Whittem. So what I did was I actually switched to another high school based in San Francisco which I could make my own hours around my, around my tennis training. And I would be able to lock, I would be able to do class from 5.30 to 8.30 PM or 5.30 to 7.30 PM after tennis every day. And I decided to do that because if I had stayed with the virtual option uh, with my high school, um, I would have found myself logging on to mandatory classes from 8.30 AM Pacific until 3 PM Pacific. So you know, that would take up a lot of my tennis training day and almost would make it seem like there was no no difference in even going to Florida if I was just going to be logged on to class all day. So, yeah, I think that was very important. And my, my, uh, my other school in San Francisco didn't even go back in person until mid-May. So I realized I really wasn't missing out on, you know, be, you know spending time with friends. And, you know, of course, that it was hard to be away from them, but I realized that this was definitely the better decision. Can I ask which school you're doing? Yes, it's called a Fusion Academy. Um, and I think they have a few nationwide, uh, but I'm doing the one based in San Francisco. Got it. 
How difficult was it for you to make the move in terms of your social life? You you mentioned the fact that, you know, you were already doing school virtually, so it wasn't like you were getting right getting uh, the ability to hang out with your friends anyway. But, you know, things are starting to open up a little more now that the vaccine's more widespread. Do you miss that? Do you miss the day-to-day contact with your buddies back in San Francisco? Or have you found other ways to stay connected and, and met new friends in Florida? Well, uh, you know, I'm super glad I have made a bunch of new friends in Florida. But, you know, of course, I still miss my my friends back home and everything back home. I guess, you know, sort of a, a choice I had to make. You know, I had to sacrifice certain things coming to Florida um, and you know, I was, you know, in the start of my junior year, I was still able to see a few of my friends here and there, maybe a little bit to go eat lunch, but I wasn't missing any sort of a, you know, real social scene per se. So yeah, I I think, uh, again, it was the obvious decision. And um, I made new friends at, um, at Todd's place. And so, yeah. Orlando, can you talk a little bit about how maybe you used your experience leaving home and going to train at Academy to help Xander understand and come to the decision to do the same thing? Yes. You know, um, you know, for parents that have younger kids, it's, it's that process of letting go. And there's at a certain time, uh the the your kid knows more what's best for them than you do and and that's a transition and and with the case in Xander that was the case pretty early on Xander made the decision to go to Todd's and go to Florida because it was right for him and I backed him on it that really really was it now of course um Xander's mom and I, we, we discussed it and we agreed with that decision, but we weren't pushing that decision. Uh, we, we as parents also did our homework together with Xander and everyone we talked to coming from a tennis life, we have contacts, right? And we, we have uh, people that we know and everyone spoke so highly of Todd, college coaches, professional tennis players that we know or got in touch with or former pro players, uh, former competitors of Todd's through the circuit. Uh, just everybody had a positive uh, view in every way of, of Todd and his program. Can I ask what specific questions you were asking as you were trying to you know, validate this decision or come to terms with this decision that Todd's Academy was, or I won't call it an academy because I know he says I'm not a tennis academy, um, (laughs) that Todd's place was the right choice. So, because I think a lot of parents struggle, like what questions should we be asking? What are the things we should be looking at when making that decision of who should coach our child? The the first thing that that we look for, and and this applies not only to tennis, but to everything, is is he or she a good person who really cares about the mission? In this case, really caring about the kids and the mission of that kid, not their mission for the kid. And that was the piece that was just outstanding. And there was a track record behind it. Todd had many former kids and current kids that as Xander mentioned, we're in that path to make it to great colleges, either both tennis and academically or tennis. And, and that was a path. And he was really, really uh, passionate about them achieving that goal. That, that's the number one thing. The second thing is how well uh, does he and the other coaches know tennis? You know, uh, well, the track record's also there. Former great pro player and with Pierre there who I believe is one of the best best coaches of all time and and probably former player as well and the whole system it's like okay these guys they 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 know the game and and the third thing is you know what's the peer group like and if the peer group is similar and Xander really mentioned that you kind of move with your peer group 
those were the three things and they were validated. Mm -hmm. Xander, how about for you? I mean, maybe it's the same things your dad mentioned, or maybe there were some other factors that made you feel like this was the best choice for you. Yeah, I, uh, I completely agree with, um, with what my dad said. And, um, also, you know, in my first few days at, at Todd's, um, I realized that it was specific, you know, very hard training that I hadn't really received before in my life. And what I also realized was that it feels like I have three private coaches just for me, Todd, Pierre, and Bruce. It feels like I have the three, it feels like I'm a, honestly feels like I'm a professional player with three private coaches. And I've talked to every other kid in the system and they feel exactly the same way. So I guess they're always, you know, of course, giving you incredible, you know, help and advice on the court. And um, yeah, it, it's a system like no other. So I guess that was really convincing for me to stay. Todd has told me that the improvement that you've made in a short period of time is like nobody else he's worked with. Talk a little bit about what your typical training day is like. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I can't, I guess, ignore, it was, it was very hard to achieve. You know, it was at first getting to an Ivy league school was, you know, seen as a little bit of a lofty goal for, uh, for me, I had to make big strides a typical day of mine. Can I, can I interrupt you one second? Can you talk, just quickly tell us where you were ranking, rating, all that wise when you started with Todd and how, like how you've progressed to where you are now? Because my understanding is when you first came to Todd, Todd was like, he's not getting to Ivy league. He's not there. Like his, you know, his game's not there. His physicality's not there. Um, so where were you when you started with him and, and where are you now that you did become attractive to the Ivy league coaches? So when I began with Todd, I was around 390 on tennis recruiting. For your and, recruiting class. Yeah. On my recruiting class. Yes. Um, and you know, I had spoken with, uh, many college coaches and many people, you know, were, I guess, telling me that, a you know, a great Division three school would be very, would be more realistic, you know, because there are, you know, incredible academic Division three schools with good tennis teams as well. So, I guess that was also in my mind that you know, maybe I wouldn't be able to achieve this, you know, Ivy League dream of mine. But um, yeah, so basically, what it took was eight a.m. to three p.m. every day with um, about 45 minutes lunch break somewhere mixed in there. And I guess basically every minute of those hours training was brutal physically, mentally, technically. Um, and so, yeah, now I think I'm, uh, I'm around 200 on tennis recruiting. So, yeah. Okay. And, and so you said your day starts at 8 a.m., um, do you start with fitness? Do you start with hitting? How does that look? So usually I would start with um, a private, you know, lesson with Todd where he would either sometimes hit with me a lot of the mornings, like this morning we were competing together at 8 a.m. Um, so, you know, we either compete, we'll either drill, do hitting drills, or we'll do drills out of the basket. Um, we'll do something really productive for, you know, an hour and 15 minutes. And then after that, I would join in with the other kids and do all of the fitness drills with them. Like, you know, all the, you know, we did many footwork drills, sprinting drills, core exercises, band exercises. And so that's for anywhere from 15 to 30 minutes. And then after that, um, usually I would begin training with uh, one of the other kids. Um, this past summer I was training a lot with uh, Ronnie Homan. And so I was basically sitting with him all day, every day. Um, but I would then train with one of the other kids until around 1130 or 12, depending if Todd wanted to finish up on some more stuff. And then after that, we would have a, uh, have a lunch break. Um, and after that in the afternoon, we would usually play sets match play for two and a half hours. Got it. And then after that, you still had schoolwork to squeeze in somewhere. That's right. Yes. Yeah. So after that, I would, you know, have, 
to uh, get in my car, drive home, uh, try to eat a snack real fast, and then uh, get right on to the uh, to the Zoom calls. Awesome. So you said when you first got there, everybody's telling you, you know, D3 is, is likely where you're going to wind up. You were committed to play at an Ivy League school. Orlando, how important was it to you and Xander's mom that he get the Ivy League education? Or were you good with, you know, a, a top D3 school for him? Uh, going back to that, what's important to us as parents is that Xander accomplishes his goals, not our goals for him. So he had that goal and we wanted to support him on that goal. I I do think that in, in terms of all this, there is no wrong choice. It's the college that fits the individual and the tennis program that fits the individual. And it's all equally good. However, if, if a, if a, if a student is motivated by a given goal is then go pursue it with, with all the tools that are, that are possible and, and that one can afford and that one can provide. And, but it's ultimately up to, to the player. And in this case, Xander was very eager to put in those hours, uh, be living far away from his friends or that he's had for many, many years since he really, really started school in kindergarten. <laughs> And, and also, you know, combine academics uh, with the sport. And, you know, that's, that's the beauty of it is if, if individuals can accomplish their goals, you get a lot more confidence and you see the correlation between hard work and being successful at something, which is, which is a beautiful thing. Xander, I mean, hard work, you know, it's a given that, that you work hard and we're hearing it from you and, you know, Todd has shared with me what you've been doing. What do you feel like it took for you to, to find it within yourself, to put that effort in, to make that commitment, to reach this goal of yours, to play tennis at an Ivy league school? I mean, it's a, a lofty goal. Not everybody can do that. Yeah. Um, well, I can say, you know, it took a lot of, Took a lot of heart, I guess, to uh, to get up every morning very early and to keep powering through each and every day. You know, even though how much I love tennis and how much I love the game, you know, of course, not everything was, I guess, the most pleasant. It's not the most fun to, you know, be dying in 95 degree heat, humidity on the court and running side to side and not playing your best. So I think that you know, that was very important. And it was also very important to be very disciplined and focused with myself. And what I mean by that is to really take in the the coach's feedback as soon as you hear it, because they're only trying to help you. So it's, it's, it's very important that, you know, you really, I guess, also have that focus because you can, I guess, put in great physical work there and get a great workout every day, but you know, you have to really, I guess, focus on what the coaches are telling you. And if you take that advice into account, I felt like I was playing much better tennis after two days at Todd's place. I felt like I was playing much better tennis after two days because they were showing me a new game style, which they saw within me by watching me play. And once they had really brought that out of me, I was like, wow this is working out great and it's been two days. So, so I, you know, I, I talk about these similar things that you're saying, Xander, we kind of refer to that as coachability. Orlando, I want to ask you as a parent, do you think coachability is something that you can teach your child or do you think it's something they're born with? Or do you think it's something they pick up along the way, seeing that behavior modeled by parents or by peers or, you know, having good teachers and coaches around? Where do you think it comes from? I think you can teach that. Um, I think it starts at a really early age and Xander has always absorbed things very quickly and put, and, and put him to work, but it's also, he's developed that over time. Uh, and one of the things is through the sport and academics and a number of other areas, 
it doesn't happen overnight, but you can develop that muscle uh, and improve it. it. It comes easy, so as you were probably alluding to, Lisa, it comes easier, more, more easily to some people rather than others. But you can develop it uh, over, over time. And one of the things, and Xander was, was really touching on this, that I want to underscore about Todd's program, it's about the, the, the differences, the big, big difference. Of course, they work the kids hard. Of course, they know so much about tennis. It's individual focus. Individual focus. And I mean that in three ways. Number one is figuring out who that person's or kid's goals are and then helping them achieve them. Not somebody else's goals or not lesser goals or longer goals. So that individuality. Secondly, is the caring for the individual. Every time Xander goes to play those tournament weekends, UTRs uh, every weekend, one of them is there. And I have seen Todd or Pierre, no matter what the player's level is, when they go as a group, they're there for every kid for that kid's goals. Uh, if they're a developing player, they're still there. And then third, and this is what Xander was saying that really, really impressed me is, Let's make that player the best they can be with what they have and within their style. Let the artist shine as an artist. Let's not try to play, make, make him or her play like somebody else or in a style that they used to play or in a style that uh, maybe allows you to win a given match. It's, and, and for Xander, Xander has a very big game. He's a very powerful player. He, he loves that. So they were able to expose that very quickly. And that changed as well. It's kind of like working hard, but with a purpose, with quality and, and doing the best with that individual. Right. Xander, how old are you now? Um, I turned 17 in late June. Okay. And how tall are you? Uh, just over six feet. Okay. So, and are you still growing? Do you think? I think uh, I think I still maybe have an inch or two left, but uh, I'm hopeful I do. But who knows? <laughs> yeah. So now that you're a senior in high school, you've got one more year to really hone all of these skills, both on the court and in the classroom, to get ready to go to college. How do you stay focused? We see a lot of kids in their senior year of high school kind of start to back off a little bit. They get a little lazy after they've committed to college. You know, maybe um, they, you know, get more involved in social things or things outside of school and tennis. How are you planning to keep yourself focused and honed in so that you are your best self ready to perform at your highest level once you step foot on that brown campus. I actually spoke about this with Pierre today. So um, my timing's perfect, right? <laughs> what, what, uh, what, what Pierre really told me was he's saying, you know, this year, you know, we're going to be still training you super hard, except for, you know, there's less weight on your shoulders per se. And so he said that, you know, it could, you know, make it, as if I almost don't have as much pressure to, you know, keep making huge strides. But at the same time, since, you know, they trained me so hard, I automatically will. So I, I guess that that's what he was, what he was basically trying to tell me. Um, and he was also trying to tell me at, at this point, it's, you can see how, how good can you get? He's saying how, you know, are you able to come into Brown playing a very high spot on the lineup, but, you know, to, to really maximize my ability before I leave to really see, you know, what is, what is possible, I guess. So I, I guess that's, that's what he was really putting in my head. It wasn't necessarily the stress of if I don't get to this on tennis recruiting, if I don't get to this on UTR, I'm, you know, I might not be able to commit to Brown or wherever school. So, Yeah. So you've made the commitment, that pressure's off. How did you pick Brown? Um, was it the coach? Was it the other guys on the team? Was it the fact that your dad played there? What factors went into that decision? So dad, well, Lisa, it, was, it was definitely not that I played there. That was <laughs> an only negative. I, I'm sorry to say this, but um, 
I didn't, you know, the fact that my dad played there wasn't really a factor in, in, uh, in my thought process because I really wanted to discover where I thought the best fit for me was. So I started talking to Alex Kasroff, um, the coach at Brown now, who yeah. started in September of this year. I started st- talking to him in November of my junior year. So November 2020, I started speaking to him. And, and he was brand new there at that point. He was brand new, yes. So he was brand new. He's, he's coming in very excited. He wants to make Brown a very winning team. Person, you know, he wants to make Brown the best in the Ivies if he if it's possible, of course. Mm-hmm. You know, since he's a new coach, I guess he sort of has, you know, the Brown people, I guess, sort of watching him, you know, trying to see if he's going to make leaps in the program. So I started speaking to him in November of 2020. And, you know, he knew that my rankings and ratings and everything were so far under everything that he had, <laughs> everything that he had recruited in the past and everything that many of these other Ivy and top schools were recruiting. But and let me, let me just interject. He came from Wisconsin. He came from a giant school with, you know, big budget and all of that. Um, Brown also has a nice budget, but Brown hasn't been at the top of the Ivies in the last several years. So he's, he's got a big job ahead of him, but he's got the experience coming from Wisconsin to know how to recruit and to know how to build a team. So was that a big positive for you? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and also I'm, I'm so glad that he is such a great genuine guy and we were able to build a very great relationship early on. And I told him that I was going down to Todd Whittem's place and he was thrilled that I was headed down there. And he began to see, I guess, more great results, improvements. I was sending him videos. I was sending him videos of me training with Sun Wu Kwan, one of the uh, pros who's, who actually was with us today. Um, and eventually he asked me to, uh, to do a pre-read, which is where I sent in academic information um, basically my transcript, um, a description of my high school, extracurricular activities. He had a whole list for what what needed to be sent in on the pre-read. That he then gave to admissions. And a few months later, he, um, I think in late May, is, uh, is when I got the official offer. I remember where I was. I was driving home from, I was driving home from tennis and I was having a great conversation with him. And he said that, you know, he really would be very happy to have me at Brown and made that very clear to me. And so while every bone in my body wanted to just commit right then and there, (laughs) I realized that, you know, I didn't want to make a spur of the moment decision because I hadn't yet visited campuses. So then I called my dad and my mom and I'm like, I'm so excited. I just got the offer from Brown we have to visit campuses as soon as possible. So I took a visit up to Brown about two months ago in June with my dad, just him and I. And um, we spent the full day at Brown and we also visited a few other Ivy League schools in the area. And I fell in love with Brown. I fell in love with the campus. I loved the, the freedom that you can have as a student there at Brown to really choose your own path. I loved the coach and I really loved that he wanted me as a player. He didn't just, and as a person as well, he didn't just, you know, I don't want to say some coaches do this, but he wasn't just like, Oh, he's this on tennis recruiting. I don't want him. Or, Oh, he's this on tennis recruiting. I want him. So I appreciate that. And so. And and coaches, by the way, absolutely do do that. You don't have to say it, but I'll say it. And, and I think that is a standout characteristic. And I think you're very smart to recognize that that is something unique. Absolutely. And so then from there, uh, I was still in contact mainly with one other Ivy league coach who Todd has a great relationship with. And I really loved that school as well. But, um, you know, visiting everywhere, I felt more personally connected to Brown. 
But Todd was so helpful that he was able to have this other coach come down to Florida to watch me play in person. And I really got to meet him. And so I guess Todd really helped open up more options like that. So mm-hmm. there was that day where I um, met that coach. And then a few days later, Alex was in Florida to watch the clay court nationals. And so he came to watch me practice um, at Todd's. He got to see maybe like 45 minutes to an hour because we got completely rained out, but um, he still got to, I guess, see me play in person for the first time. And again, he reassured that, you know, he really wanted me on the team that he would give full academic support. And so I didn't commit in that moment. Uh, As soon as he left, I called my mom and dad. It was a conversation with me, my dad, my mom, Pierre and Todd, and we were talking for a while and we were like, everybody said, man, you got to just commit. So I, I call Alex on the phone and I said, you know, I would love to be here at Brown. And so that's how it happened. Also, as a bonus, I was in San Diego visiting family a few weeks ago, and one of my new teammates lives there. And every day in San Diego, we would train for three to four hours hard and then would go surfing for three hours. And I really became very good friends with my new teammate and was able to also speak on the phone with all my new teammates. And they are all such great, genuine guys that I'm, I'm, I don't think I could have made a better choice. So, yeah. That's awesome. That is really awesome. I, I'm, I'm thrilled for you. I, Todd texted me right after you made your decision. So um, I've known, I've known about it for a bit too. And I'm just, I'm very excited for you. Thank you. Orlando, I want to get back to you a minute. I, I, first of all, let me just ask you, how does it feel to hear your son talking about all of this stuff does it bring back good memories for you and, and it, it really does it's just awesome i see his excitement um the the excellent fit and i'm just uh i'm really proud of him and i just i i i know that he's going to have such an amazing experience and do so many great things both in the sport and academically uh that that is just i, I know that path and I know it's going to be great. So I'm, I'm looking forward to really watching him closely, not, not in person and not bug him too much, but, but kind of keep up with, with, with what he's doing. Yeah, yeah. It's a fun time. I can tell you from experience. It is a very fun time when your child is living their dreams. So um, you, you have a lot to look forward to. I want to just ask you too, Orlando, you parlayed your tennis experience and your academic experience into an amazing career, um, an amazing professional path. And I understand that when you're looking to hire people to work for you and your business and, and you're in the, the world of finance. I, I don't know a ton about what you do, but I know it has to do with money and finance. Um, and I understand that, that you love hiring college tennis players. Can you talk a little bit about that? And what is it that makes you kind of lean toward those, those college athletes as potential hires? That's a great question. It's not, uh, it's not on purpose. They just stand out. Uh, okay, so so it's not like us as a as a group of partners in our private equity firm say, okay, that's the profile. It's we go meet with a broad range of these great kids with different backgrounds, and by chance, because they have stood out, we do have a a number and a growing number of college tennis players. Uh, it, it's amazing, and I I think. I, I think it is because uh, private equity, okay, so, so what we do is we raise funds and we use those funds that we raise from our limited partners, institutional investors, to buy companies in software, improve their performance, and hopefully earn a great rate of return for, for the people that, we are, that we're working with. It's a very individual job. Uh, and tennis being an individual sport, it, it's a, it, it, there's a lot of uh, analogies one can make to it. So, so that may, may be one reason. The other reason is we look for, for individuals that have done something very different and very meaningful 
at an early stage in their lives. And, and of course, tennis or art or music or something very different uh, really, really shows and it shines as well. And then third, we, we look for people that have shown the uh, experience of having a struggle and dealing with that. And you know that every time you step on a court, whether you're supposed to win or supposed to lose, or it's yeah. a, you're going to struggle. Uh, and that's the life. And that's the life of deals as well. Sometimes you're up, sometimes you're down, but it's never done until, until the contract is signed, right? Until somebody wins the last point, right. uh, which, is, which is super interesting. I love that. I love that. The last thing I want to ask you, and this is a message that I have been pushing out on Parenting Aces for the last 10 years, is the importance of finishing this tennis journey as the parent and the player with a relationship of parent and player, parent and child intact. How difficult is it, do you think, Orlando, and then I'm going to ask Xander, I'm going to ask you the same question. How difficult do you feel it is to find that balance between pushing your child to get them to work toward a goal and hopefully achieve the goal, yet not being so overbearing that you wreck your relationship with them? Xander? <laughs> <laughs> He's passing the buck, Xander. <laughs> I want go ahead. Are you gonna are you... <laughs> no? I thought you I if you have if you want to answer first or if you want me to answer first. Okay, well what I can really credit my parents uh to is always being incredibly supportive of my goals without feeling some sort of you know, them putting a huge weight on my shoulders saying that I had to get into a top academic school using tennis. I wasn't forced into tennis in the first place. You know, of course, my dad taught me how to play tennis at a very young age. And um, yeah, I knew a lot about the games. So that was very helpful. But I guess I pursued tennis individually through my own interests. I chose tennis as my sport. And you know, throughout the whole process, what was great is I felt a lot of support that they were happy that I was happy playing tennis, but I didn't feel any sort of pressure from them that I had to do this. And that made it, made, made it feel great at the same time that they were supporting me so much in what I really wanted to do and what I chose, but not forcing me into it. And I think that's how I was able to really, you know, I guess improve so fast at such a fast rate was because of their support of me being down here in Florida. They did not force me down to Florida. They did not say, Xander, you're going down to Florida because you're going to train with Todd Whittem and you're going to end up at an Ivy League school and you've got to do this. So I think that that's how, you know, <laughs> my relationship with my parents is, of course, amazing. So, yeah. Orlando, your turn. You passed the buck. Now it's back to you. Thank you, Xander. You've been very kind in, in, your, <laughs> in your description. That I really appreciate that. And parents have to realize that they're not perfect. And that especially if it's your first as a tennis player or athlete, you haven't done this before. You may have been the kid in that situation, but you have you have no experience, so you have to learn as you go. There was a time when Xander was super young that he was playing this this match, and the match didn't go so well. I think you were only eleven or something, and I, I was. I think Xander knows exactly car. which match you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, and, and I was. And I was I was fired up just going off in the car. Can't you see that he's always serving to your back and second serves? Don't you run around it? But couldn't you see all this, all this? And I was just going on and on and on. And Xander goes, Dad, that is enough. The match is over. And I kind of I kind of stopped because I was really fired up. And I looked at him and I said, Hey, just so you know, I don't know how to be a tennis dad. And then I I called. I called my, my, my coach when I was a kid and, 
And I, uh, I was telling him about this and, and then Antonio this and that, and he stopped me and he said, Orlando, let the kid enjoy the sport. And I was like, wow. So I, I think what I tried to do, which was super hard to do, is take a big step back. And, and you still wanted to comment and you still wanted to do this in practice and hitting with him, but, but take enough of a step back to then you can, you can then re-engage. Um, and it, it, it hasn't been easy because I also want to be a cool dad and not be all over him all the time. And that, that doesn't work either. But I also don't want to be that dad. So finding that balance of having Xander be my best friend, which he is, and also uh, those uh, hard work and ethic and, and seeking your own goals and doing the best you can and teaching that is, a, is, is sometimes, right, uh, hard to do. Very difficult. And, you know, Xander's following in big footsteps. I mean, Orlando, you you had a very successful junior tennis career, collegiate tennis career. You have a very successful business. So that's a lot of pressure on a kid coming up in that type of environment. Xander, it seems to me, and, you know, this is the first time we're meeting, but it seems to me that you have recognized that pressure accepted it and forged your path and that you're on your way to doing great things yourself. So um, as exactly. my people say, mazel tov to all of you for really figuring this thing out and finding a way to let Xander be Xander and to follow his own path and supporting that Orlando by allowing him to make these choices and these decisions and, you know, who knows what the future holds, but I suspect it's going to be really good things. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you. Congratulations. Well. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think you guys are a success story. So I, I really love it. And um, I'm very excited to see what happens over the next year, Xander. And especially once you get on campus at Brown in two years um, to follow your collegiate career, there is going to be super fun. Um, We'll have to have you on again because I really I we're running out of time. I, I wanted to talk to you about this new name image likeness stuff that's going on in college, but we'll save that for another conversation. But thank you both for coming on. I know you're both very busy and I really appreciate you taking the time to share your story with the Parenting Aces community. And I, as I said, I look forward to watching you over the next several months and, and seeing where your life, your tennis and your academics take you. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you so much. Thank you. And to my listeners and viewers, thank you so much for tuning in. We will catch you next time on Parenting Aces. I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast. For tennis parents, by a tennis parent. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to us and write a review on iTunes. For more information on navigating the junior and college tennis journey, please visit us online at parentingaces.com. Thanks for tuning in and sharing us with your tennis community.